Amaron, welcome back to Nobody Cares About Dad. This week, as ever, joined by my co-host, AD. AD, how you doing, Evening. buddy? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Recovered. And this week, joined... Recovered? Yeah. Yeah, I will introduce you in a moment, Jari, but the pubs have reopened in the UK. I heard this. Yes. <laughs> I promise saw... this is just water. It's just water. <laughs> I saw I saw the countdown on all the social media. I'm like, I, I follow the lad, the lad Bible guys. I just yeah. think it's like the funniest thing ever. And they're like, countdown, 30 days, 15 days. And I'm like, I guess this pub thing's an important thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like our, it's it's like a religion in Britain. Oh no. I mean, when I've been, it's like that's where we would do all the business. Like, yeah, we do a bunch of work. Like, let's go to the pub and just chat. I'm like, uh, okay, sure. So, <laughs> so yeah, joining us all the way from San Francisco, Jari, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Appreciate you guys having me on the show. Looking forward to uh, talking about all sorts of things about self improvement, mental health, and all that kind of stuff. And I know you guys warned me a little bit that I said, well, you know, nothing's off limits. And you're like, well, you really don't know us, do you? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting, I'm looking forward to getting to know you guys, you know, so heard a little bit of the pod, but I always like to hear it straight from the quote unquote horse's mouth. So yeah. how, how are things over there for you guys at the moment? Because I'll be honest, you know, for the first six months, it was, this is what's happening all over the world. Look at everybody. And now it's like, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, California in general um, has been vaccinating a lot of citizens. Uh, right now, it's open to 16 and over. I think over half the adults in California have at least got one shot. Um, I'm in San Francisco, so we actually fared pretty well during the pandemic in terms of how we've managed it. Uh, primarily because of the mayor, London Breed, who's a fantastic woman. In fact, a good friend of mine. And we can talk a little bit about how I met her. It's a pretty funny story. Uh, but we have had a lot of experience here in San Francisco with this kind of like pandemic type footing because uh, we went through the AIDS crisis in the 80s and 90s. So um, we really are pretty dialed into like, okay, this is what we got to do. And not to say that not a lot of people have been suffering. There's a lot of businesses that have been closing, but um, they're starting to open stuff up. I mean, I got a haircut yesterday, which was like, cool. You know, I'm like looking sharp, you know, <laughs> thanks shorty <laughs> over at JP Kemp. I uh, love shorty. Um, but it's like, you can start to see it opening up a little bit. And it's, it's funny because, you know, it's the summertime, right? And I think in Britain, or UK, it's like going to be the two, hottest summer. Two on weeks. Yeah, two you get two weeks, but it's like the yeah. hottest summer on record. Well, here in San Francisco <laughs> in the summer, it's 50 and foggy every day. <laughs> so it's like, ah, you know, no one's going to be walking around, even if it is nice. So anyway, it's going yeah. okay. Yeah, it's, um, we, AD, AD here was nearly an adopted American, wasn't you, AD? Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was. I was married um, to a very Texan quickly, very quickly, <laughs> and and divorced very quickly um, to a Texan. Yeah. So obviously, it's a lot hotter there. And you know, I've got strawberry blonde hair. <clears throat> some say ginger. ginger. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't fare too well. But yeah, I remember. I, I, I'll never forget 
your wedding AD in Texas. And we've oh, been, I, my I, first I, time I, in oh yeah. <laughs> my first time in Dallas and it was October and it was like 32 degrees and there was a there was a pool at our hotel, right? So I was like, here it's like 17 degrees and it's hot. And we're like, yeah, this is lovely. So 32 degrees and I was in the pool and these Americans came over, American guys, and I'm like, what are you doing? I said, it's 32 degrees, mate. It's like red hot. He's like, this is cold. And I was like, he's like, it's 50 degrees here in the summer. I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, Texas is a different place. I mean, they always say the Republic of Texas and people there are, they're a little different. I mean, they're all cool. We're all wacky Americans, right? The rugged individual maverick. We don't, nobody tells us what to do. Texas, no one tells anyone what to do in Texas. So (laughs) you've probably seen that, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, It's funny how you were saying about, you know, you've finally got a haircut. Things are starting to open up and everything for you. Uh, over here, obviously, we're coming into this. We're doing like a, a phased unlocking, and um, to be honest, <laughs> like, this week compared to last week, no real difference. Like, yeah. still busy, everyone's still out. But the main thing, like Marco touched on, is that the pubs are open, beer gardens, and it doesn't matter how cold it is. You are going to that beer garden, no heater. Even if you want to wear your summer clothes, just because you can, the amount of people I've seen just sitting there in the corner, like hypothermic. I've made <laughs> like, last week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, in a hoodie and everything, mm. but people are shivering and suffering. But nothing will get in the way of an Englishman and his beer. That's nope. it. Nope. 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 It's like you know, death and taxes. It's just going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jari, obviously speaking to you before this, um, obviously we learned that sort of your world got sort of flipped upside down four or five years ago. Um, Would you like to sort of elaborate on how that part of the story starts? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, like all good stories, uh, I met a girl, right? (laughs) (laughs) Dim the lights. (laughs) Yeah, dim the lights. So, um, I actually uh, got divorced um, and was going through a really tough time and um, met a girl and uh, actually met a girl at a gay pride breakfast. <laughs> so uh, um, to anyone that needs to meet a, a one, wonderful people and, a, and your, your next wife or next partner, go to a gay pride breakfast. They're awesome people. <laughs> My friend did that. Our, our friend did that. Yeah. Our friend from home went to America, went to a gay pride, met his now wife. Yeah. They now live in New York. Yeah, because like gay people are awesome and they just they're so happy and they like it's just a beautiful thing. I mean, that's what I tell people like, oh, you want your wife wants to go to a gay club? Send her because when she comes back, she's just going to be so happy. <laughs> like She's going to love you more because <laughs> they're going to be like, oh, you look so great. You know, you're like, just oh. hang on. Yeah, yeah. It's like superpower, <laughs> right? Absolute superpower. There's like two things about gay clubs that are awesome. First, everyone's super friendly and it's all of, it's so loving and caring. And the second thing is like the drinks are so cheap, like it's so cheap. <laughs> so, and back when I used to drink that, that was great. So, so yeah, I, I met, I met Jane at a gay pride breakfast and um, fell in love with her. And she, she was a publicist for professional athletes. So if you know anything about 
professional athletes, they need people to like hype them up and everything. And like big names, like Yao Ming, Amari Sotomayor, Marshawn Lynch. I mean, these are people over here in the U S um, equivalent to, you know, Beckham type people, like yeah. really super famous. Wow. And, um, that's actually, I had met her through the now mayor of San Francisco, London breed. We were there at her table, um, trying to help her get elected to what's called a supervisor uh, position, which is below mayor. Right. But now she's mayor. Um, but yeah, so fell in love, got engaged, got married and we're newlyweds, you know, building our life together, going to be power couple. We used to go all these things, go to all these bars and openings. And, you know, we were big into whiskey. So every, we knew every whiskey vendor, you know, like, like we were it. Right. And then, um, you know, we were trying to have kids and, uh, she had a, a miscarriage, which is anyone's ever had to go through that is a really horrible experience. Uh, and then she had a second miscarriage and they were trying to figure out what was wrong with her. Cause she's like, I'm, she's 30, 33, 34. Um, and on December 26th of, uh, 2015, we found out she had leukemia and that's the reason why she was having all these miscarriages. And it is one of those things where, you know how you kind of remember where you were when a kind of a something yeah. happens, the world just sort of stood still because we were at the emergency room and they didn't know what was wrong with her. <clears throat> and I had to call her parents and like, we're all like at this emergency room and it was just an utter shock. Like this, there's no way like leukemia. I mean, kids get leukemia not. 32, 33 year old women. And um, turns out she had acute myeloid leukemia, which is a very aggressive form. And it, you know, throughout this whole, um, her whole treatment, she, she actually battled it for 15 months and then ended up dying in 2017. And I'll tell you, you know, as a husband, you know, a man, with a spouse that's sick. I never felt so alone in my life. And when she died, I never felt more alone. Um, and it was a tough time. And I didn't do, I didn't make a lot of wise choices <laughs> during that time. <laughs> um, mostly related to drugs and alcohol. Um, and specifically, I had a hard time sleeping. So I would, you know, Marijuana is legal here. And so I got my medical marijuana card. And uh, I remember fondly, I would be at the hospital. She would be in her room and I would sleep there with her when she was going through chemo. And I found this little balcony area. It was sort of hidden off in the world, right? Like, and I would just go out there and vape, <coughs> you know, vape on my vape pen, come back in and be like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> and then boom crash out right the world would just collapse in and it was a fifth you know it's interesting because this 15 month ordeal i mean taught me a lot of things i mean I, i'm actually wrote a book about it i'm writing a memoir about it right now and the thing that i was just fascinated by was how how concerned jane was for my well-being you know like she's going through chemo 
she's going to need a bone marrow transplant. She's hallucinating because of all the drugs she's on. She thinks there's people in the room. She's got, she's going through menopause, right? Like she's 33 or something like that. And the thing that just struck me is just like, wow, I guess you really love me. <laughs> You're like worried about me, you know? And I was worried about her and we would talk about all these things about what happens if I die. And it was, we had this really great moment with, um, with a social worker where, again, it's one of those things you remember for the rest of your life and where she, she literally talked us through what would happen if she died, if Jane died and how I would feel and how Jane wanted me to be better. And just, 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 I, it was just this so profound moment in life. And it's, it's funny because after she died, I was really lost, as you can imagine. Like there were times where I would like be walking down the street and I, I would think to myself, oh, um, I wonder what it would feel like to walk in front of a bus. Not that I wanted to kill myself or anything like that, but I needed to feel. Like I didn't feel anything, you know? It was like in this, it's like I'm under the water, under the sea, like walking on the bottom of this ocean and I like things are muted, you know? And I just realized also that as a man grieving, I could, there's certain things that are harder for me to do. Um, and I tried to go to grief groups and all these things and 85% of them, there were just women there. Like there's not a lot of men going to these grief groups, not a lot of men sharing, you know, Yeah. the challenges. And so, did anyone, yeah. while, she, while she going through that, before you went to like the groups and things, <clears throat> did anyone actually genuinely say to you, are you okay? Like, are you okay? Not just, you know how sometimes people say in, in like a conversation or like a, just a throwaway comment. You know, we say it all the time. We say it all yeah, the time. Right. A lot of things. Oh, how, yeah. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good. That's it. Done. But actually when somebody takes that time and you know, when they're being genuine and sincere, did anyone say that to you or was it just an expectation because you probably on the outside, you were like, yeah, I'm dealing with it. It's good. There were a couple people. There were a couple people that, that, and most of those people had gone through trauma and tragedy and a death of someone. So they sort of knew. There was a, there was this couple. It was a friend of Jane's family, um, and both of them had lost spouses to cancer, and then they got together. Right? Like, oh wow, this is great. So. <laughs> Like they, they knew like that you could just tell, like there's some people when you, that you could just look in their eyes and you're like, they get it like, like that right away. Um, and the, the, and a lot of people try, don't get me wrong. Like it still feels lonely because you're not really being heard. And, and a lot of the platitudes are like, Oh, sorry for your loss and all that sort of stuff or just that. Like, I know why people say it now. I know why people say it. They're uncomfortable bringing up this subject because yeah. they're uncomfortable. Yeah, of course. You know, it's not me. I mean, of course, I want to talk about my experience to everyone. I want you to understand. And it also, you know, fast forward a little bit, you know, it's how I now handling my relationship with my fiance Minerva now, right? Like I have to, if I wanted to find love again, which is what Jane wanted me to do. Like she was very clear on this which was the best gift anyone could ever be given. I mean, literally like I, no one's ever given me a better gift when she said, I know this is going to be hard on you and you're not going to handle it well, 
but I want you to find love again. I want you to be happy because I love you so much. And, very, very strong woman. Very yeah, strong. Yeah. And and I remember when it were in we were talking about this with this this therapist, this counselor, this social worker. When when you go through a catastrophic medical stuff here in the US, they give you a social worker because doctors have no clue how to deal with you. They're like, you're a meat puppet, you know, <laughs> right? Like nurses are a little better, but they give you a social worker to handle the the shit you're going through. And I remember like she's talking us through this and she, and like, we're both crying. I mean, I'm getting a little choked up right now because it's just so emotional. And I remember her looking at me like just tears are streaming down her face and she's looking at me and the most since like this moment was like burned in my brain. And she's just like, yeah, I want you to be happy. I want you to find love again. And I don't want you to be sad when I'm gone. And I'm like, Oh, whew. Well, I don't want you to go. And she's like, well, I don't either, but let's be real. I might not make it. And I'm like, wow, holy shit. <laughs> uh, I hope, I hope I can give someone that gift. Right. Jerry, how long have you been together? We were together five and a half years total. Okay. We were married a little over a year. We were newlyweds when she got diagnosed. So. Wow. And what was it? Was it a terminal diagnosis or was it, did it progress to that? Leukemia is a strange thing. Um, first, first course of treatment is usually chemo. Chemo didn't work. She got a second chemo. It sort of worked, but then they're like, you need a bone marrow transplant. And the way bone marrow transplants work is they try to like match you. So she has a brother and her brother was called a half match and they were looking for a full match. It ended up her brother was the one that was her donor. So he was what's called a haplo or half match. As the um, treatment progression goes on, the probability of success goes down. So, I mean. It's such a shit. It's, yeah, it's it, honestly, it's like, it's the shittiest thing to have to go through. And I had a lot of support. Don't get me wrong. Like I had a lot of support, a lot of friends and family. We had this thing, we called it the care circle. We had this Jane's care circle and it, I was like 150 people in this thing. Right. And I would give updates. And actually it's interesting. The updates are in the book because I really wanted to show not only the public facing stuff, but then the private, like back and forth between that. Yeah. Because what we showed on the exterior facade, of course, like, fucking got this jesus man i'm on bum up this we're gonna kick crush this kidding me i'm good to go and inside i'm like a complete wreck like i would i would literally so she she was being treated at times at kaiser in san francisco on geary and i don't remember the cross street and up the street was this panera bakery and i don't know if you guys have panera bakeries but yeah you know what i mean like a, a bakery right so i would spend the night in her room just to be with her i would help her have to shower i mean all these things i was like kind of like helping her out right i would wake up in the morning and 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 i just wanted like some time to myself right just just a little bit of time so what i would do is i would go outside walk up to this panera bakery and I would get a double espresso and a scone and like the worst scone you can get. This is filled with like sugar and just joy. 
And I would sit there, right? And like that dopamine hit of eating sugar and coffee in the morning after you're like kind of hung over from smoking too much pot, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is bliss. <laughs> like this was my life, right? Yeah. And I would sit there and just for five minutes, just for five or 10 minutes, my life was normal. And then I'd get a text from Jane. Where are you? When are you coming back? The doctor's here. And I'm like, fuck. That's so right. Brings you straight back down, doesn't it? <clears throat> That's right. my life now. Uh, what was you like around her? Did you portray to her that you were strong coping with it? Or were you open with you how you were struggling to deal with it? We were pretty open about that. Um, there were times where I was just like, we have to do this. We have to do that. You know, and there were other times where she had sensed it. I mean, your partner can sense when you're like having a tough time and depending on how they are, they're going to do a couple of different things. And so, you know, our dynamic was a little, was, was as follows, right? There was times where like I'd spend the night there, then I'd go to work and I never wanted to come back to the hotel room. I'm not to the, to the hospital room, hotel. It wasn't really a hotel. It wasn't the Ritz, right? And I didn't want to come back. I just didn't. It's like, literally, imagine you leave a situation, you go off in the real world, because she can't leave her, she can't leave this room because she doesn't have, there's no immune system. You go to the world, you can go to lunch, you can hang out with people, take the bus or whatever, and then you're like, oh, I have to go back to this. Yeah. This situation that is so messed up on so many levels. You're, you know, she's moody, sick, going through menopause, upset that I haven't been there all day. And there were times where I would pause at the door. And, you know, I remember this like it was yesterday. I pause at the door. And I'm just sitting there going, it's like going into Narnia. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit, do I really want to do this? And I would literally walk in and it would be, the world would just completely change, right? Wash your hands, do this. And there were, yeah, she would get upset at me for, and there's times I just wanted to, like, I wouldn't answer her phone calls. I just like, I don't want to deal with this. And it was really tough. But then we, you know, there were, then there were times where I'm just like, I can't handle this. I, I need to do something like this is out of control. Like I, I, everyone. And the other thing that was interesting is like, I felt everyone was relying on me to cure her. And as men, sometimes, you know, I, again, you know, okay, it's a bit of a cliche and blah, 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 whatever. But, you know, I felt responsible for, her, you know, like she's my wife. Like, I think it's the same with, you know, with kids, like it, you know, like my fiance now, she's got an 11 year old daughter. I feel responsible. I need to protect her. Like that's hard the, that, it's that protective instinct. It, I mean, everyone's got it, but for, for men, it seems like you are the protector and that is in everybody's eyes. If something's going on, like with kids, so with my little boy, if he, if he's poorly, if he's under the weather, or if he comes out of preschool upset, like, I turn into the Hulk, honestly. I'm like, right, what's happened? Who's done that? It might be a five-year-old kid, but I'm getting him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, will, not on, not on he camera. He will pay. He will not pay. Not on camera. will <laughs> <laughs> find you. I, I, can, I can sort of relate a little bit there, Jari, with what you were saying about 
living in the normal world and then having to go into this room where your world's falling apart because my my mum died three years ago and wow. she she died of ms wow. and ms is a like it's a horrible disease you just basically wither away and they they say that you're there in your head you just lose every function and so me and my sisters would you know we didn't we didn't want to go we didn't want to yeah. go and see her because you know i've grew up with my mum being the strongest most you know vibrant woman and then to see her like that, it was just, it's, it's horrible. And, you know, to, yeah. I, I, I can relate being at the door thinking, I really don't, I, I don't want to go in because, I, and, and you kick yourself for feeling like that, but genuinely that's, it's, it's horrible. Yeah, it is. It is. And the thing, I think the courage in this all, so when you love someone, you face the fear, you open the door, and you do what you can do. And the thing that I realized going through that experience is you do got, I mean, if you look at the statistics, uh, half of couples break up because of an illness. So half the time your partner jets gone, just, I mean, and I didn't know that was the case, right? I'm like, someone told me this. I'm like, really? Huh? Interesting. I'm not doing that. I'm going down yeah. with the ship. You know, Jane yeah. and I, we like, we're right or die. You kidding me? <laughs> Get out of the way. You know, let's go. Like, come yeah. on. You know, like that's my attitude towards it. And, but I, I can see why I can see why. I mean, I, I don't fault anyone for, you know, of course I fault for not honoring the vow, you know, sickness and health, death, death do us part. That's like, that really solidified in me during this experience. I mean, my, my first wife, you know, we got divorced and, you know, before I met Jane, right? And I didn't really understand that vow until I went through this. And let me tell you, it's a vow for a reason. It's a hard thing to do. And if you're not equipped to handle it, whew, like, you know, with your mom as an example, like, you know, you love your mom, your mom's a strength. I mean, this pillar of your life and you're like, and then you see this, you just can't process it. No. No. And then I also, so, you know, my dad wasn't around. My sister's and brother's dad weren't around. So then I, I have two younger sisters and a brother that I then have to be this bastion of strength for when, you know, inside you fall into pieces, but you can't show to them that you're upset because they're looking to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're looking <clears throat> to you to, to man up or whatever we call it now. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it is that though. And do you know what though? I wish. So I went through that. We went through that, and we've this last year with the mental health issues and stuff yeah. that everybody's been going through. And I've, I've sort of, I've had a little, a little epiphany in my own life, and I sort of wish in my head I was where I am now then, because I'd have, I'd have dealt with it much. I would have been all right to cry. I'd have been all right to be emotional with my brothers and sisters but um what what you where you are now though um you know like, like you say it's the year of mental health it, we say it's the year mental health is is always it's constant but this is the year where people are actually starting to take notice and there's so much coming out about mental health mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. you you are where you are because you've gone through that mm -hmm. and it's that wonderful hindsight thing but at least now, at least now you recognize that. And at least now you go, do you know what? If, if I'm upset, 
I'm going to cry. If I'm, if I'm pissed off, I'm going to tell somebody I'm pissed off. And it's not just like you have the old laughing joke, you know, you're just an old grumpy man. Well, no, I've experienced some stuff. I actually thought on reflection, could have done it better. Mm-hmm. So now going forward, the only person that can make that change, we've said it multiple times, Marco, it's you, isn't it? It's you accept it, you move on. Until you do it, you accept that yourself. You, you'll keep going, yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Then go and lock yourself in your room, shed tears mm. for that 30 minutes, and then come back out. And you've got to know enough's enough. Now now I have my, my little boy. I, I struggled a lot sort of last year, 18 months ago. And um, I got to that point where I, I was ready to get in my car and just drive, park my car up, jump on a train and disappear. That was me. And I remember, I remember it. I put my boy to bed, read him a story, stared at him for probably about 20, 30 minutes, like some weirdo. <laughs> Staring, I'm thinking, if he wakes up, it's probably scarring him for life, this. But, you know, I, I did all that. But I, that was the night I had enough. And then I got in my car, drove off. And I remember having to pull over because I, I broke down massively. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't quite understand it to start with. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can barely see the road. Like, I'm... I can't see past my own tears. Mm-hmm. And I remember pulling over, got out of my car, and it was probably about, I don't know, about an hour, maybe two hours later, I just came around. I was sat on a bench. It was chucking down with rain. The police were there. Some of my family were there. Friends were there. And I was thinking, whoa, what's going on? But it was from that moment I realised that's not happening again. I, I can't because because my boy. You know, you, you have a purpose. Everyone has a purpose or people trying to find their purpose in life. And right now, this specific moment in time, my purpose is my son. You know, that that is all my energy, all my focus. And, you know, everyone, everyone, everyone can direct it differently. You know, you can go into, um, you know, you share your experiences, you can go into mentorships, everything. But for me personally, that's where I'm at. And like you say, Marco, you, you wish back then you could have gone, Right, okay, you can't see me cry. Well, actually, no, it's probably going to help you more if you see that it's all right to be upset. It is okay. It's this whole bravado, like you just said, this whole man up, like, nah, yeah. that's, not, that's not good anymore. That's not good. Yeah. I speak to some of the young lads at um, football, and that's uh, soccer. For Yeah, no, I'm educated <laughs> in that. I, that <laughs> okay, so for the footy boys. <laughs> um, yeah, I speak to some of them, and they – they're like 23, 24 years old and they're going through some real shit times right now because of, because of COVID, because it's changed their, their life. You know, our stories from when we were that age, you know, some of it, you're not allowed, yeah, you're not allowed to write down anymore. It has to be <laughs> with paper. That's it. Done. Yep. Not, yep. not for public <laughs> consumption that. No, 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 no. <laughs> no playing in the sewers. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, like I'm talking to those guys, and you think, "Wow, like you'd never get that." And these are young lads, you know, it's mm. marching around the place like they, there's no care in the world, being Jack the lad. And you think you're struggling, mm. so you try and impart that advice. You look back. We spoke a bit off the camera, you know. You look back to how did I deal with that last time, or have I been in that situation? You think back to your parents, or if you had a father figure, or anybody, yeah. And you start imparting that, and then you go. Oh no! Oh no! I sound like my dad. <laughs> like, bail out! Bail out! Right, let's go get drunk. 
Jari, not not that you ever get over what happens with your eye, but when did, like, how long after what happened did you start to feel like, I want to say normal, but yeah, like you were getting yourself back together. How long did that take? It's uh, it's when I stopped drinking, which was about a year after. Um, okay, and 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 I had always had a fond relationship with alcohol so to speak um used it as a crutch uh for a lot of emotional stuff that i was going through my whole life like it you know and i love love nothing more than a single malt scotch or a belgian beer like oh just love that stuff right but realized it wasn't doing me any good because i was not handling the emotions that were deep inside me and i was using alcohol and drugs to uh to mask it and drugs you know pot i mean i had a medical marijuana card so i'm all cool (laughs) but uh you know like when i started to really feel feel what it was like and like really deal with these deep-seated issues that came from my childhood in some ways and just how i dealt with things and i think this is with with men this is a hard thing right so as society goes Men can get angry, but can't cry. Women can cry, but can't get angry. But fundamentally, we're all people, we're humans. We have those spectrum of emotions. And when you suppress those emotions, they start to bore a hole in you. And so Jane's death really catalyzed what had been going on for my whole life. Like, I don't deal well with this stuff because I don't talk about it. I don't share I don't share my emotion. And when it comes to trauma, generally in trauma, your body keeps it inside. Like you're, there's a famous book called The Body Keeps the Score. It's about how your body internalizes trauma. So there's some things you cannot control. You can't control. Like your fight, you said, uh, you know, fight or flight or freeze reaction. That's the reptilian brain saying, something's going down. Your body is preparing to do something completely out of your control. So when you suppress that, again, depending on how you grew up as a man, but generally, if you suppress that through, I am not going to share my feelings, what happens is your body starts to internalize this and you start to really feel like crap, right? And so how do you how do you express that? How do you suppress that? Like you said, we go to the pub and get drunk. Well, what happens when we go to the pub and get drunk? I love you, man. I wish you were my brother, man. But, yeah, you know, and then you cry and you're like, because you're drunk, right? Like the emotion comes out because the guard's down, mm, but yeah. you would do that anyway because you love your mates or you love your friends or whatever, right? <clears throat> you love the lads. It was really when I just said, I'm not going to drink anymore because this is not helping me heal, that I really started to turn the corner. And I mean, you know, Minerva, my fiance, was really instrumental in this. I mean, she's just a saint when it comes to this because I I was actually hiding my my drinking. Like, I I mean, she knew I drank, but I mean, I was, (laughs) I would, you know, have a glass of wine and a pint glass (laughs) and say, I'm having a glass of wine. It was in a pint glass, right? And you all know from you know, you all know what a pint glass is, right? Are you British? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I figured, 
you know, I figured, well, you know, it's just a glass, but just wasn't doing me any good. And, and look, I'm not saying like, look, like I'm not saying drinking's bad or whatever. I mean, Minerva has this great line where she says only drink when happy. And I'm like, that's a really good advice, but I just can't drink because it's, I know what's going to happen. I, I, I love it too much. Right. It's like one of those things, you know? Um, but like, um, Frank, Frank, the tank from, um, thinking lies. Exactly. Exactly. It tastes so good when it touches your lips. <laughs> exactly. You know, anyone that's ever had a really good, you know, 12, 15 year single malt scotch. It's just like, <laughs> the dopamine hit of the day. It's bah, bliss. Um, but just that's when I think it started to heal. And then I started writing about it, which is another way I process things. Um, and then yeah. I started talking to more men about it. A lot of times what will happen is friends of friends will be like, hey, this guy lost his wife. Do you think you could talk to him? Um, and I found the exact same thing when I talked to these, these guys. They had the same struggle, the same challenge. Is it ever going to get better? How do you feel? No one, I can't, I can't talk to anyone. I can't share emotion. No one gets it. I have to be strong for my kids. I have to be strong for my family or, you know, everyone thinks it's cool. Like, Hey, you're handling it really great. And you're, you know, my wreck, I'm a wreck. Yeah. Um, and it was through that process really that I think the writing and the stopping drinking and, and I also go to therapy. Like I, I really, the second Jane died literally that, that day I called a therapist and I'm like, I need help, man. Cause I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, and that helped too, J just because I needed to process it and I needed to talk about it in a way that was constructive. Cause a lot of times as an example, like this is a classic thing for men, right? Your spouse, your mother, your girlfriend, your sister will be like, well, you know, you go through something traumatic, whatever it is. And they're like, well, do you want to talk about it? <laughs> and you're like, I don't want to fucking talk about it. I want to punch a goddamn hole in a wall. My buddy just died. Like, I want to go get drunk and howl at the moon. Like, no, I don't want to talk about it. And they're like, oh, well, if you talk about it, it'll be better. And you're like, no, it won't. It actually won't be better. And this is, the, this is your body processing trauma. So until you can downregulate your emotions, and as men, what do we do? We go run, we go drink, we go fight, we go hit stuff. We like, you know, scream, howl at the moon. We're so pissed off. That's your body downregulating the emotion so that you can talk about it. And this is yeah. really important. If you talk about it and you're not ready to talk about it, you relive it. Your body relives it. This is, this is that book, The Body Keeps the Score from, from Dr. Vanderkoel. And when I realized this, I'm like, oh, I need to really process these feelings, emotions in my body before I can talk about it mm -hmm. because talking about it just relives it. And it's only now probably, I was actually probably a year ago where I could talk about it and not feel like, I don't know if you like, maybe when you talk about when your mom was dying and you saw that you can feel your body tense up mm -hmm. and you're just like, Oh God, that's it. Right. Yeah. And yeah, how do you and how do you express that? No, and it's it, it's it's funny what, what you said about when you were talking to these guys and they're they're going through similar things and similar emotions. But I think as men, we look at other men and we think everybody's or, or when something bad happened, it's only happening to us. 
and you know the reason we started doing this podcast in the first place was to get to let guys talk about certain scenarios like i'll give you an example i had one guy on who <clears throat> for the first three months couldn't connect with his child like he saw it as a, a burden and like this is ruining his life with the boys and the, why do i have to spend my money on not me and he, he said it wasn't until like three months into that where he went oh like i get it like and he, and he just it was like a switch that changed for him but since then, I've also had other people have said to me, do you know what? I actually thought I was alone feeling like that. And I thought there was something wrong with me that I wasn't able to connect with my child. And actually hearing that other people are actually going through it as well. And that was the idea. It was to say, look, all of us guys have got problems <laughs> somewhere. And, and, and as unique as you think it is, it's probably not. And there's other guys going through it somewhere else. And by just expressing those feelings and emotions and just letting other people know that you're not alone in feeling like you do, if that can help somebody, then that's the reason we started doing doing this in the first place. And like I said, because it's a because it's a podcast, you can just have it on, go for a run and go, I'm gonna listen in that. <clears throat> you can see what's happening, you can you don't have to yeah. diverge to anyone that you are almost self-helping you know you are getting that that therapy that you need you listen to somebody and you're going like you just said Margot. actually that's me I, i've done that or i feel that and then you, you're invested and you start listening and i think again it, it comes to your point Jared, is that that's your release you then your body starts processing and you go well actually i can talk about this because there's other people that have done exactly the same or felt the same so I'm not alone. I'm not unique, as we like to think we are with certain problems and issues. But, yeah, I think that's good. And, yeah, if it helps one person, it's, it's awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I wrote the, the memoir. I didn't want – I felt really alone. And I didn't want anyone else to feel alone. You know, it's the hardest thing to feel alone in, in your sorrow and your grief and your struggle. Part of the reason, like, sports – you know, women are like, how come you guys love the sports stuff so much? It's like, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't even like it as much. I mean, I like doing sports. So I like doing jujitsu and like combat sports, right? Because it's to me, it's like, God, we're killing each other. Like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> but I, it doesn't take much of a leap to understand why men like sports. Because it's the only place they can actually express themselves in a safe place, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. it bored. I mean, like you see men crying when their team wins. You're like, what the hell? You know? <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't cry when your baby was born, but your team wins. You know, holy shit, right? I, um, I didn't. I didn't cry when Leah was born, but when United got knocked out of the Champions League in 2008, <laughs> I roared like a baby. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I don't know if you've ever. I mean, I'm sure you know who Nick Hornby is, right? Fever Pitch, the book Fever Pitch. No, no. Oh, you got to read Fever Pitch. Well, there's a there's a movie called Fever Pitch, and it's with Colin Firth. You know who Colin Firth is, right? Yeah, the, yeah. You know, Hell, the Irish Hellraiser. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was in all sorts of movies. He was in, um, he's just been in all sorts of great movies. He's like plays the, you know, the British guy that's a little awkward, but then saves a girl in. Right? Have you seen? Um, is it the Gentleman? His latest film? No, I haven't yet. Oh, that's brilliant. brilliant. Is it brilliant? brilliant. Okay, cool. Yeah. I gotta check it out. The Guy Ritchie film, is it? Guy, is, it, is, is it Guy Ritchie? Yeah, it's Guy Ritchie. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, he's, he was, uh, he was also in Pride and Prejudice, one of the Pride and Prejudices. Like he's just, he's Mr. Darcy to me. Right. Um, but fever pitch, Nick Hornby, it's about his love of football. And I think he, I don't remember the name of the team. And if I screw the name of the team up, I'm just never going to live it down. So I'm not going to say, <laughs> but it's one of those teams where like everyone loves him, but they never win. <laughs> You know, and he was like his this whole story is about how he loves football so much. Arsenal. Arsenal. There you go. That's the one like, oh, if you're an Arsenal fan, you got a long haul. It's kind of like you're a you know, you're a Cubs fan here. Like, oh, yeah, they're never going to win. <laughs> right. But they love them anyway. And you could see you feel that you feel like the snippet of time that this is in. So, yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, like talking about this stuff matters. And I really appreciate you guys doing this because I really think that the next big thing that's going to happen in the world is when men can actually truly and honestly say how they feel. And I think the rest of the world will get better. And and I think we have to just accept the fact that there's a lot of things that we need to work on. And as men we need to lead the way. I mean, that's why it's, it's great to what I talk about on my show and the book I'm writing and talking about how to, you know, how to make the next generation feel better about themselves. And not only that, but express themselves. And I think that's, that's amazing because you, you look at, you look at the generation now, like coming through that, you know, yeah, they're, <laughs> they're, they're not ready. No, they're, not ready. they're a mess. They're they, a mess. Like, um, yeah. Like you said earlier, we're men. We've ruined a lot of shit. Yeah, we have <laughs> so yeah. much. Yeah, and one of those things we have ruined is that that I guess that title of you know you're a man because we've gone so far past the line of puff your chest out bravado ness that now we start to open up a bit. It's still odd. It's still very alien to people mm -hmm. when when they hear. But in fact, what what's what's amazing is if you speak to some people and you open up, especially women, if, you, if you're talking to anyone and you're opening up about stuff, they're just like taken back. Like, wow. You've opened up. That's amazing. And you think, ah, oh, damn it. Let me dim the lights. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh Yeah. You know, it's just so cool. It's like, well, so I'm, so I'm Gen X, right? So, you know, Gen X, we hate both the boomers and the millennials, right? We're like, oh, you knuckleheads, you know, like, what the hell are you guys doing? Um, but it's funny because I, I see your point about the next generation of men coming up. Like, I feel for them. I honestly do. It's a confusing time. And, you know, on the one hand, you want them to have the good traits of masculinity, you want them to be comfortable with themselves. You want them to be good stewards of the world. They got a lot of shit going on that's out of their control. And the world is really like, oh, gosh, this is not cool, right? Um, but the thing that I think is confusing to them is like, well, how do you be a man? You know, what, what, what is this whole masculinity thing? And it's being vilified a bit, to be yeah, honest. 100%. And I don't yeah. think that's the right way to go. I mean, yeah, we've had our problems and generally, yeah, we've done a lot of bad stuff. Okay. But being negative about it 
doesn't solve the problem. You got to get the people that are doing it and experiencing it to come to the table. Like any kind of group that's trying to like fight for their rights, it's not the minority group that you worry about. You got to convince the majority that it's a good idea. So I like this idea of trying to understand how to like help the next generation and help ourselves through, through these, these kinds of dialogue. And, and, you know, it's a human experience. We just happen to be male, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jory, you mentioned your uh, new partner, fiance, did, did you say? Fiance. Yeah. Fiance. Yeah. Had a, ch had a child when you obviously got together. Oh, she had the child before me. So. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that? How was that adapting to, because obviously we me and Adi have talked about this it's almost you know instant family isn't it like yeah, boom, yeah, yeah there yeah. you go yeah how was is. that how was that change well it's really interesting because you know um like i said uh, jane and i were trying to have kids when we found out she had leukemia so you know i was sort of on the like okay i'm gonna be a father path right but i must say it's pretty <laughs> it's a little scary to be honest <laughs> And I'm like, I just don't want her to, I don't want to mess up. Right. Like I'm, you know, and she's a great kid. I mean, Minerva has done a phenomenal job, like a plus, like she's a great kid. So it's really just how our relationship is going to evolve. And, you know, how can I, how can I be supportive and different enough? Like, cause you know, it's important to have role models. Like, how do you like, I never knew this this to be the case, and I was it was interesting. I was talking to friends of mine, a gay couple, gay men, that have two kids. They have twins, actually, and you know I'm kind of a Neanderthal knucklehead, knuckle dragger kind of guy, right? I mean, I you know I okay, I'm an intellectual. I can process that, but I I, I literally one time said I said, you know I love you guys as brothers. Like they were in my wedding with Jane. Like they're they're my brothers. I'm like, how are you gonna? model like the dynamic i i i'm confused i don't know i'm, I'm not i'm not i'm being i'm ignorant right and then they're like well well this this is what you do you have a, a group of people around you a community around you that models the behavior that you want and as a community we need to do this and like you have friends that love you and you you show this sort of stuff and i was a little embarrassed because i'm like I mean, I live in San Francisco. <laughs> I should know this stuff, right? That's like, ah, but I was generally curious. And he's like, no, it's it's really important that you model to whoever's kids are there, whoever you're around. This is the way a man acts. It's the way a woman acts. This is the way gay people act. It's the way people that identifies that I know we're all people. But his whole point was like, we want to put people around them that model what we think is important. And I'm like, wow, well, that's pretty insightful. <laughs> I feel like smarter already, right? You know what I mean? Like, oh, wow, I'm enlightened, you know? And so so as this whole stepfather thing starts to evolve, what I'm really trying to figure out is how do I model? Like, I want, it, I want her to see this is what a man, a good man, a good human, this is how a dynamic of a relationship works. This is what you should expect. You should, yeah. this is what you should be like, no. I don't want people to, I mean, I don't want anyone to hurt her. Like I know jujitsu. <laughs> I know I, I I'm training in combat sports, <laughs> like this whole protective thing, just so you know, I can take care of myself. Right. 
and I'm going to take care of her, of course. I mean, I'm being a little facetious, but I'm not. <laughs> but you know what I mean? And so I want to model. I want to, I want to, I really want to try hard to model like this is what a good person is. This is what a good man is. Or, you know, if you want to say as identified as men, but these are the traits that, that are good for good people. So it's, it's, it's interesting. It's fun. It's scary. <laughs> it's really, really cool. It must be like such a such a shock to your system, and all of a sudden you you because I've I've been there, and it's all of a sudden you have to adapt and change everything, literally everything about you. It's no longer you. That's it. It's, you know, you have this other person to care for, to to look out for, to threaten people with jujitsu for. You know, you have all of this, <laughs> and it's um. Yeah, it, it completely changes you. And you are right in what you're saying. You know, you want to be that person for someone to look up to and go, ah, oh, okay, so it is okay to, to show your emotion. It is okay to have fun and, you know, be silly, be all of that. It, you've got to be able to do that because if you are, you know, golden oldie days, if you are regimented and strict, I mean, look where that's got us, <laughs> you know, it. People are so confused nowadays with everything that's going on. Yeah. The one the one consistent thing should be that role model, that that person you look to. That's the consistency you need. Yeah. But yeah, I I get you to, and how old is your step kid? Eleven. Eleven. Almost twelve. Almost twelve. So <laughs> Yeah. And she's sharp as a whip. She's she is definitely I'm definitely learning a lot. Let me just put you put it to you that way. And I, and I love her. I love her like she's mine, obviously. And she's just a beautiful person. And I just really want to, like, that's the thing I worry about. Like, I I want to show, like, a good role model. Like, I think that's the most important thing. Like, this is what good people do. And I struggle with this, honestly, because of my family of origin. I am not the most open, honest, engaging, connected person. I mean, it may seem that way because you're listening to me on a podcast, but you guys are random people I've never met. I can talk to you all day <laughs> about whatever. And, and a lot of men are like this, right? Like the intimate relationships, the intimacy is hard for us, depending on what you came from, you know? Um, it's amazing though, because you can open up straight away. Oh. You can talk about things with other guys. You get in front of, you get in front of a female and you're like, yeah, 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 I'm good. I'm fine. Cheers. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> you know, and it's not like it's funny. It's not like I, I don't talk on a podcast and, and I'm engaging and entertaining. And then I go, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to say. <laughs> to the corner, turn around. You're like, uh, you know, and I'm working on that. And that's a work in progress. And, um, yeah. Joe, you, you mentioned before it was a, a funny story. Actually, before I ask that, London Breed is such a brilliant name. I know, huh? Uh -huh. What a great name that is. Yeah, that is that's 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 election worthy straight away anyway. Yeah, yeah, I'd, yeah, yeah I'd vote yeah. for London Breed. Yeah, hundred percent. <laughs> yeah, but you, you mentioned it was a funny story about how you met. Yeah. So uh <laughs> yeah, love I love London Breed like a sister. Um, she's just a wonderful person. She happens to be the mayor of San Francisco right now, which I am so thankful for because she's doing a great job. Um, but I, it was funny because I, 
I was a community activist in a neighborhood here in San Francisco called North of Panhandle, North of Panhandle. It's kind of now a very bougie neighborhood. It wasn't at the time. It was kind of rough. And there's this road race in San Francisco called Beta Breakers. I don't know. You guys have probably heard of, heard of it. Maybe not. Um, it's, it's a hundred year old race and literally it's kind of sort of a race, but mostly people just get rip roaring drunk and have a great time. And it's just, it's insane. It is absolutely insane, right? Just so happens that the North Panhandle is about the midway point of this race. And most people pass out drunk in the panhandle part of this park. So Golden Gate Park is the Golden Gate Park proper towards the coast. And then there's the panhandle, which is this little park. And without fail, they come up Hay Street Hill. They turn the corner. Oh, park. Boom. Out cold <laughs> drunk. I mean, I look at the videos. You'll know what I mean. Most people are naked. And it's just this weird thing, right? Just so happens I lived in the neighbor this neighborhood, right? It was the president of the neighborhood association. And my neighbors were so pissed for whatever reason it got, it got out of hand and they were, my phone was blowing up and they're like, you need to do something about this. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? He's like, well, the hundredth beta breakers is coming up the hundredth anniversary of this race. And it is going to be worse than it is now. This was the 99th. It's going to be the worst. It's going to be a shit show. My gosh, Jari, just cancel the thing. And I'm like, how am I supposed to cancel a hundred year old race? <laughs> Super pissed. I mean, I, the words I can't even explain. Right. <laughs> so I decided, okay, well, I will write, we'll write a letter to the mayor of the time, which it was Gavin Newsom, who happens to be now the governor of California. Right. So I, I write a, I write a letter to, to Gavin Newsom. And I had all these neighborhood associations sign it. There was like 13 in total. And I said, we're going to sue the city to stop the 100th Beta Breakers because this is out of control. And then I get a phone call. Like I sent the letter. I get a phone call within two hours. It's this guy, uh, Joaquin Torres, who was the neighborhood uh, director of neighborhood services at the time. Great guy. He's actually now, I think, the assessor. All these political guys, they sort of you know <laughs> ramp up, right? It's good to know them, but they're all, they're all good people. He's like, got your letter. <laughs> uh, sounds like you guys are a little pissed off. I go, yeah, we're really pissed off. Um, so what happened? We bought a coalition together and we started worked really hard as a neighborhood group. And we basically made the 100th Beta Breakers really successful. People were happy and the world was just like, oh, great. You know, you saved it. Yay. Jari's a great guy. It wasn't just me, but it was a lot of people. Like I was on TV and shit, all this stuff, right? So then what happened was the supervisor of District 5, which is where NOPA is, a guy named Rosmir Karimi, got elected sheriff. So there's a vacancy for his slot. And everyone's speculating who's going to get appointed to this vacancy. And my name happened to be on the list. And so I'm getting all these phone calls. Like, are you going to run? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? Like, I at one point had political aspirations. Now I've wised up and I said, nope, I'm not going to do that anymore, right? Um, there was probably five or six candidates that gave me a call and said, hey, I want to meet you. I want to meet you. I want to meet you. And I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, a lot of them were like, I could beat these guys. <laughs> then I get a phone call from London Breed. And she's like, we got to meet. And I'm like, okay, sure. So we go to a cafe. Oasis Cafe. It's on Divisadero in, in, in the neighborhood. We sit down. 
And for like three and a half hours, we talk nonstop. Like I, I, I'm like, I'm impressed. You know, she's been in the Democratic Party for a long time. She's met Obama. She's knows Willie Brown, the mayor. I mean, like she's just like dropping names left and right. Like, like she's connected. Like connected, connected. <laughs> and she's talking. What do you want to do? What are you going to do? And we were talking for like three hours. Right? I'm just it's insane. And so we're about ready to end, right? And she looks at me like dead in the eye. And she says, so are you going to run? You know? <laughs> and you know those points in your life we've talked about them a little bit where like you remember exactly where you were and exactly what we're doing? And I literally like pause. I'm like, I took a deep breath and I go, I don't have a chance in hell against you. <laughs> <laughs> what can I do to help? Okay. And so that's how we started our friendship. She got elected as the supervisor. A lot, there's a lot more story to that. Then she became the mayor for a little while when Ed Lee died. Then she got kicked out of being mayor. And then she ran for mayor and then she won. So what I tell people, the moral of the story or the takeaway is, I'm the reason London breeds mayor San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> and I joke with her all the time about this and we laugh and it's, of course she's awesome, but that's, that's how, and, and the, the pride breakfast, the LG, the Alice B. Tolkis pride breakfast, which is a, the De Alice B. Tolkis democratic club, which is a big democratic club here in San Francisco. A lot LG, LGTBQ, like the alphabets of all that huge, very influential. Everyone in city politics goes to this gay pride breakfast on a Sunday at 8 a.m. Every gay pride. And I happened, London's like, I want you to come to this breakfast with me. And honestly, I was, I didn't want to go because I was so hungover that morning. My friends, Matt and Jeff, had to come get me. They take me to this thing. And that's where I met Jane. Amazing. So, yeah, Great I didn't conclusion. want to go. Yeah, so I, I just I've been I've been googling beta breakers. It looks fun. I'll be honest. It's 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 madness. You see a lot yeah. of costumes, like a lot of fancy it, dress. <laughs> it looks like a, it looks like that'll make a good video, AD. If we went and did that, Ooh, you want to put some? Let's, yeah, let's just see. say let's just say clothing optional is clothing <laughs> optional. <laughs> it's a madhouse it's an absolute madhouse um as well jerry um obviously i know we've run over a little bit but just it's it's also been the the year of the um side hustle mm. and you talk a little bit about side side hustles so i'd love to just have a have explore that a little bit with you sure yeah so I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on my podcast, The Entrepreneur Ethos, which is based on the book I wrote, which was partly inspired by Jane's journey as an entrepreneur as well. Um, yeah, side hustles. Well, we got a lot of time on our hands with this COVID thing, <laughs> apparently. <Yeah. laughs> people are like stuck in their house. So um, a lot of people have been doing side hustles. And, and basically what a side hustle is, is like a a business and it's not a hobby because a hobby doesn't pay you and you should never get paid for your hobbies because then they'll ruin them. But side hustle is like, Hey, I got this interesting business idea. I'm going to keep my main job, 
but I'm going to do something on the side to make a little extra money with the hope that eventually that side hustle will turn will be my main hustle and I can quit the bad corporate coffee and tell my asshole boss to fuck off. <laughs> In a nutshell, that's what people like to do, right? And I uh, hope hopefully we can swear on this podcast. So I'm sorry. Of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, like language, yeah, language, yeah, language. Uh, so that's it in a nutshell. Um, side hustles. A lot of people have been doing them, especially internet-based businesses, podcasts. Yeah. Some people have been monetizing their podcast, or they'll do these mastermind groups, or they'll do I don't know whatever. Like, but um, the power of the side hustle, I think, especially in times like COVID, is like it gives you some like. You know, we talk about like something to look forward to, like something to get excited about. Like when you have your own thing, people, you just feel like it's your own. Like this podcast must feel that way. I mean, for me, it feels that way with mine. It's like, this is mine. Yeah. I'm I'm creating something and like hopefully someone will listen to it, you know, and how cool is that? So yeah, I would encourage yeah. people to do side hustles if they're interested. That's, that's what it, that's, that's exactly how this started. It was... Um... I started the blog initially just as a place to what I call my mind farts. You know, that's just, <laughs> here we go, boom, boom, put it out somewhere. Uh, and then someone was like, why don't you start a podcast? I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. So <laughs> let's, let's start that. And then it just evolved. And now, and now I'm actually writing a book myself. Oh, great. So, awesome. Um, awesome. It's uh, I'm writing a fantasy novel. Cool. Uh, so I, I, I don't have enough time to do one of these things yet. I've decided to just take on something else. So, uh, but it's, you know, when I sit there with my laptop and I'm typing away, uh, I just getting into this, this little world. And like you say, it feels like this is yours. It's this whole thing that you're creating. And then I just, I just love that. It's great. Yeah. It's but important. I think, yeah. I think people it, just, if you're thinking about doing something, just do it. You, what's the worst that can happen? It can fail. Right. Yeah. You're back to where you started. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And then, you know, the, I always like to think of it as like, I'm building skills. So, you know, people have talents. I'm trying to build a talent stack and a skill stack in order to take advantage of opportunities that may come my way. So like this podcast, right? Like probably wouldn't have found me if I wasn't on matchmaker.fm or if I wasn't doing my own podcast, I don't talk about it. So I have the opportunity now to talk with you great guys about a really important topic. It's because I was practicing building my skills. Like, you know, contrary to popular belief and for what you hear right now, I usually don't talk this well, <laughs> you know, so it's practice. I've been practicing. You know, yeah, no, this is, very yeah. moment, this very moment I've been practicing my whole life and it's here. <laughs> you've, you've made it. You've done. <laughs> I have. I can I can ride off into the sunset. I'm tired. I'm done. <laughs> Near the bay so, so what do the next 12 months hold for you, Jari? What 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 are the plans? Uh, I'm gonna publish the memoir. Yeah. I'm definitely like dedicated to that. Gonna continue to do the podcast. I'm really going to probably start ramping up, talking more about mental health, grief, and men's issues. I'm a little scared about that, actually. I'm actually a little apprehensive because of the climate out there. But 
It's got to move it up and do it. Is it still super taboo in America, like men, mental health? Well, yeah, mental what? health is to a certain degree. Men's mental health and the... It's two sides. There's the next generation of men who are lost, don't know what yeah. to do. They are getting all of these mixed messages about how it's evil to be a man. I mean, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. Because the because the because the there's a lot of cultural things going on. There's the the woke culture. There's like lots of things that are just sort of piling on. That's why you see a lot of these. Uh, that's why you see Jordan Peterson and all of this stuff happening with men like ben shapiro and all those guys it's like all yeah. these men are like i don't know who who am i yeah and who, so it, it's not even that it's who am i allowed to be i think is the there's that important. too like yeah. you can't say certain things anymore like back when we were kids and then yeah. and i understand language evolves and we have to be more sensitive and kind and considerate i get it but i'll give you an example of that actually so there was um i don't know if you saw this ad but there's um there's a there's uproar in Italy at the moment over an, a um, TV presenter who was talking about, I don't know if you know Lukaku, the footballer, right. but he's a super black, Afri he looks African, African descent, black footballer. And the commentator said, oh, oh the tanned guy that plays for Inter. And apparently that's super offensive. And now me as a brown man, if somebody calls me tanned i'm like yeah sweet i am tanned but you can't say that in this world and it's, it's blew up online about how this guy needs to lose his job and i just find that it's incredible just pink and fluffy world now where you like you say you're scared to say things you're scared to act a certain way be a certain way so you, a lot of people especially men just conform and you go okay you, you tell me what i need to do i'll do it and that's 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 throughout life. So it's, yeah. it's having you that. hear it a lot, don't you? Toxic masculinity. You hear that all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's interesting? So I'm 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 I don't like those terms generally because see, for me, there's always duality, right? So if there's toxic masculinity, then there must be good masculinity. Mm -hmm. Now, if there's toxic masculinity, there must be toxic femininity and good femininity. You have to have the yin and the yang. There has to be a contrast or you can't say it. And when I talk to people about this, their brain explodes. Like <laughs> absolutely like, well, you can't say that. I go, well, what's wrong with like, you, you, there's a con, there's always a contrast. How am I supposed to decide between what's good and bad without talking about it? Right. Yeah. And usually it's people that are very, one, they're easily offended Two, intellectually, they can't see the other side of the table. So like that commentator is an example. Like, okay, so he made, he, the word he used, okay, maybe not the most sensitive. Maybe he screwed up. He was having a bad day. Who knows, right? It's a word. It's minor. If he said, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said it. I'm sorry. Move on. Yeah, like, he did. He on. did after. He apologized. Yeah. 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 So, okay, done. It's not like he's committed genocide. It's not like he's killing people. He, he said a word. He, yeah. he messed up done move on and even people i don't agree with like even people like they're viscerally like oh you are awful person they have a right to say stuff and when when the dialogue stops 
is when you get all this crazy stuff, like hands down the rise of all these extreme groups is because they're being canceled. hundred percent. Like look at history. Mm -hmm. You don't have to look very far to see what happens when you censor people. You yeah. don't. And I think that's what people get lost on. Like read history, understand debate, dialogue. Yeah, you don't agree with them. Okay, then don't agree with them. Move on. Yeah, people people nail their colors to the mass, don't they? They're either you know even like with politics, no matter what the topic, no matter what the policy, they're either red or blue over there. It's red or blue over here. And you know, I'm the kind of guy that I don't really support either because if he says something right, I'll agree with him, or if they say something right, I'll agree with them. You know, and if somebody can give me a uh, a sensible, rational argument to my thought, I'll change my opinion. Yeah. But so many people get so tough. This is it. I will not be changed. Even if it's completely wrong. I'll give you an, uh, I'll get, uh, just a quick example. One of my friends, um, pass, you know, pass lady. He's, he's one of these people where if he says this, this is what it is, no matter how wrong he is. Uh, even if he's not watched the whatever it is, giving it uh, like a sporting example, a couple of years ago, Canelo, do, do you follow boxing, Jerry? A little bit, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So Canelo fought Triple G uh, Golovkin a, a few a few years back, and the first fight was a draw, I think. Anyway, I stayed up four o'clock in the morning here to watch that fight, and I had fought Triple G had won the fight. <laughs> Anyway, on the Monday, Pass rings me and he's like, oh, mate, did you watch the fight at the weekend? I was like, yeah. He was like, oh, what do you think of the result? I said, oh, well, I, th I think Canelo, I think uh, Golovkin won. I think he really, he was like, nah, 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 he didn't, he, he didn't win. Definitely didn't win. I was like, well, you know, I, I thought he won more of the rounds. No, definitely didn't win. I went, did you watch it? No. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I saw a little clip online and he looked like he was winning. I was like, Pass. I watched the fight. Like he's like, no, 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 no. He definitely lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But well, I mean, he's I so nailed maybe, to that. Yeah, that's how it was. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I honestly, I think you brought up a really good point. I think the reason why people are so entrenched in their, you know, their side, their black and white world, is because I don't think they have the tools or the confidence to be wrong. And when you can't, when you, when you just think you're always right, one, you never can be always be right just by definition, statistically impossible. But if, if you're not confident in yourself, confident in your opinion, confident in your thought process, you think people are attacking you when they say, oh, that's not right. So you just double down and double down and, and, and that's what we see now. Like you can see that, yeah. Yeah. um, instead of debating instead of like having an argument, I may not agree with you guys on certain things, but we're going to be cordial. We're going to respect each other. That's what civilized yeah. people do. <laughs> it's like yeah. That's where, that's where we are lost though, as a society. It's, we, we don't seem to have, even though we've got nothing but time, we yeah. don't seem to have time to have that debate. And if you say this is four foot tall and I say it's six foot tall, then why? Why are you saying four foot tall? Why am I? There's none of that. It's just, well, it is. Yeah. And if you're the bigger man, you go, 
Okay, yeah, fair one. Okay. Cool. <laughs> you know, when it when it comes to, when it comes to elections, it's like who did you vote for? Red or blue? Red or blue? Red, conservative? Labour? Conservative? Which one are you? In in two thousand and sixteen, there was this poll online where it shows you all the manifestos, and you had to go through it and say which one you agreed with the most. I ended up being conservative, liberal, green. Like it was split. <laughs> so it's like, who, why? Who am I voting for? Why am I voting for one? Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. No, I mean, because we're not just one thing, right? Like the uh, label, again, you know, I, this is one of those things I think you guys are right. Like the problems that seem to stem in our society today, universally, like where you are, where I am, is no one sitting down and like really just trying to understand each other, one, and two, like respecting them. I mean, I don't like a lot of conservative things that they do. I don't, you know, there's some of the things I don't like the Democrats here do, right? But I'm going to make my own mind up and like, yeah. don't label me as one or the other. Like I'm in San Francisco, so clearly I'm more liberal than oh, most yeah. people, you know? <laughs> that doesn't define me. No. no. That is, yeah. I, I, I <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. It's more, have, have your own, have your own opinion, have the conviction behind yourself, like back yourself. And that's what, like you say, a lot of these men and women nowadays, that there doesn't seem to be enough conviction in things that they're doing, whether it's work, socially, with a job, like anything like that. It's not, it's morely, they conform to what the group say. Mm. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. This is the right way to do it in work. Yeah. We're doing it this way because the boss has said, like, Who's going to, for a better phrase, grow a set and go, nah, not happening. No, I'm not doing that. I mean, my I wish I did it all the time. last week. Yeah. <laughs> my wife does it all the time. She's in a group chat with the girls and she'll be like, oh, I don't look, look what they're saying here. And I'll be like, well, yeah, that's not right because of this. And she'll be like, oh, I can't say anything. Like, I, I can't, I, I can't say it. I'm like, just say it. Like, if you don't agree with it, say you don't agree with it. <laughs> It's tough. It's tough. It yeah. takes conviction and courage. And it also takes, again, you got to practice just like men in grief, expressing your emotion. You have to practice that. It's a muscle you have to learn and you have to be in a, in a place. I don't like the kind of the term safe space, but like you got to be comfortable, you know, because life is complex and you're going to have a lot of times where it's not going to be cut and dry and you're going to have to like yeah. figure it out. And the more you practice that skill, the better. So, Yeah. Well, listen, Jari, it's been amazing speaking to you. I really appreciate you coming on and giving us a, a little more sharing. than an hour. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. And, um, yeah. And um, look, hopefully you get that book finished and let, we'll, we'll let us know where we can find it and we'll have a read. 100%. I'll definitely make sure you guys get a copy of it. Appreciate your time. Again, great conversation. I'm glad you guys are doing it. It's important work, really. Is. It's the most important thing here is the Bay the bay Race. We're, we're on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys got, yeah, like Beta Breakers, I'm telling you. We're, we're on that. Yeah, yeah. Share, that. Share, yeah. Share a couple of videos with your followers and they will be like, oh my God. God. <laughs> yeah but honestly that that will make a great vlog and i'm all over that all right cool awesome <laughs> yeah. in. Really cool. but thank Brilliant, you guys thank you all right take care cheers good speaking to you